Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. John chapter 20, and I'm pretty sure we're going to finish it up. I'm pretty sure. But again, who's teaching? It's me. John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 19. And let's pray before we get started. Lord, again, we come before you, and we thank you so much for the word, Lord. Thank you so much for the time that we get to spend in it. I love Wednesdays. It's, like, it's just like a break uh, in the middle of the week where we can just turn away from all the stuff that we're dealing with at work or even at home and uh, just come in and focus on you and allow you to pour into us through your word and just to speak to us in our hearts, Lord, and just to be able to offer up worship to you. It's just, it's just awesome, Lord. And so we just give you the night. We pray that you bless the study of your word, that you'd be speaking to our hearts once again. And we ask that you do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John 20, verse 19. It says, then the same day at evening, remember that Mary has already had her encounter with Jesus here. It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so the first thing that you have here is you've already had the, we've already had the appearance of Jesus to Mary and actually the appearance of Jesus to the women as they were coming back from the tomb and also the appearance of Jesus to the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And so it's like the disciples are the last ones. The apostles are the last ones that get to have Jesus appear to them. 
and it talks about it being on the same day of the week. So it's Sunday, that's the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the evening now. They're in the room where they had been assembled because of fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Okay, first off, it doesn't say that he walked through the walls. It doesn't say that he knocked on the door. It doesn't say that he came down through the ceiling. It doesn't say he came up through the floor. What it says is he appeared in the middle of the room. So that's cool. This is like a transporter. <laughs> Just appearing in the middle of the room. Actually, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Star Trek fan and there was a really badly done Star Trek episode that was called Spock's Brain. And if you're a Trekkie, you know what I'm talking about. Spock got his brain stolen. And so they had this little device on him and, you know, little little uh, controller on him. So, he, you know, it was like a Spock video game and they walked him around. They went and got his brain back, basically. But really interesting, one of the things that, that happened was usually they have this whole thing with a transporter and they get all fuzzy and light and all that stuff and they just appear in the middle of the room. In this case, what happened was the lady folded. And so what you, what you see on the screen is she's there three-dimensional and all of a sudden she goes flat. And then from that point, the, from the side, now she's two-dimensional at that point. And then from the side, she goes flat again and now it's a line. And then the line comes down to a point and then the point disappears. And that's a really cool depiction of folding yourself through different dimensions of space. In fact, to appear in the middle of a room, you would have to fold yourself through five dimensions of space. You're going from one place to another, that's one, then you do the whole three thing and three dimensional thing, and then you disappear at that point, and that's another four. And so you folding yourselves through five dimensions of space plus another dimension is time. And so six dimensions you have to fold yourself through to do that. Jesus is, when he appears in the middle of a room, of the room, what's happening here, again, he's got a physical body. And you can tell because of some of the things that we've read before, like in the book of Luke, when he appears to the disciples, this is that same appearance, but they think he's a ghost. And so Jesus asks for some food and they have a piece of fish and they have some honeycomb. And so Jesus says, bring it here and he eats from it. And so you can see him, you can hear him. Um, obviously he's changing his environment. There's gonna be a bite mark left in the fish, for example. He's changing his, in, his environment. He's actually physically there and yet he can appear in the middle of the room. And what the Bible teaches is that we don't know what we're going to be like, but we do know that when he appears, we're gonna be like him because we're gonna see him as he is. And that's a promise that's out of 1 John 3, 2. That's a promise that you're gonna have a body that is just like Jesus's. When you go through the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, it's a whole chapter on the resurrection and the, the fact that the resurrection is something that is not optional as far as Christians are concerned. And then Paul goes through and he talks about a resurrection body. And he says there, that there are terrestrial bodies and that there are celestial bodies. There are bodies that are fit for the earth. That's what terrestrial means. And then there are bodies that are fit for the heavens. And what Jesus had when he rose from the dead was a, a celestial body. He had a body that was fit for the heavens. There's some things in here 
that are obviously letting us know that his body is something different, uh, uh, besides just appearing in the middle of the room, but that his body is something different than what our bodies would be normally. And so it's like you come up to me and I've been crucified and I say, you know, here, put your hands in the, put your fingers in the holes in my hand. That means he's got holes in his hand, the size of a finger. And then he says, come here and take your hand and put it into my side. And obviously we know that when Jesus was on the cross, that he was, um, he was stuck with a spear. When they found out that he was dead, when they walked up to him, they were gonna break his legs. And when they thought that he was dead, they made sure. And so they stuck a spear in his side and out came blood and water, right? And so after the resurrection, he still has the hole. And so normal people aren't walking around with a hole the size of a hand sticking out of their, sticking out of their side. There's a really interesting passage, in, again, in 1 Corinthians 15, that says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it looks like this may be a situation where a celestial body doesn't have blood. Because otherwise, if you had holes that big in your body, you would be bleeding. And so it looks like there, there's something radically different about a celestial body, and obviously that's true. Jesus, we've been going through the book of Acts on Sunday and in Acts chapter one, Jesus just takes off into the heavens. He ascends. He takes off into the heavens and disappears into a cloud. And so obviously his body is doing things that our bodies can't do. And so why is it different? Well, the reason it's different is because we're going to be getting everything that God designed for us. God designed us to be the rulers of all creation. And I don't think it's just the planet. I think it's the universe. When you're looking at the universe, the universe is just as fallen as the earth is. All the things that are going on in the earth as far as decay and destruction and, and all of that, you see out in the universe as far as you can see it. What I'm telling you is the second law of thermodynamics is universal. It goes everywhere. And so all of that decay was caused, the Bible says, by the fall of man on the earth. And why would God do that? Why would he make the rest of the universe fall when mankind on earth fell? And if God was just confining us to the earth in the sense that this is, this is the only place that corruption is going to have any kind of effect, we'd be able to look out in the universe and not see the principle of decay going on. We wouldn't see stars dying. We wouldn't see, see planets becoming more and more corrupted, that kind of thing. We know that, that Mars used to have water on it, for example. Mars used to have a, a thicker atmosphere, for example. So Mars is getting older as time goes on and it's getting worse as time goes on. Again, that's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything's falling apart. That's the idea behind that. And so it looks like that when God creates the new heavens and the new earth, we're not just confined to the earth. In fact, the Bible talks about the new Jerusalem coming, coming down out of heaven to the new earth. And so our dwelling place, that's the new Jerusalem, was apparently in heaven before I'm, I'm getting into the weeds here. There's a thousand year reign of Christ. And the, during the thousand year reign of Christ, we're here with Jesus. But it looks like our dwelling place is the new Jerusalem. And I'm wondering if it's orbiting the earth at that point. And if we're going back and forth to it, which would be cool. Because again, it would be like a transporter, you know, fold yourself through six dimensions of space and boom, you're in the, in the middle of some place. This will be useful for playing pranks on people eternally, that kind of stuff. Peering in the middle room, freaking them out. In any case, Jesus 
appears in the middle of the room, came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples, verse 20, were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so he commissions the apostles. He had told them what he was going to do when he went to the cross. He had told them that he was going to die, that he was going to rise again from the dead. And he had specifically, we went through this in John 14 through 16, talked about the ministry that they were going to have after he went home to be with the Father. But in between John 14 and 16 is the crucifixion and these guys' world has been flipped upside down. And so they're not even thinking in these terms anymore. In fact, when you get to chapter 21, they're going back to fishing. And so they're not even thinking in these terms anymore. And what Jesus is doing is basically showing them once again, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for you. I'm going to send you out. That's what the word apostle means, a sent one. I'm going to send you out. Obviously, Jesus has a purpose and a plan for you too. And Jesus has people that he, um, he wants you to talk to. He has interactions that he wants you to make. You're not designed to become a Christian and just sit in Calvary Chapel for the rest of your life and do nothing. God has a purpose and a plan for you. In fact, it's um, stated in Ephesians 2.10 that God has works that he's foreordained that you should walk in them. And so there, there's all these things that God has for you. And one of the things that we need to be doing is plugging into those things. And so Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Again, definition of an apostle, a sent one. And so I'm sending you. And again, what, what these guys are going to be doing is being the witness that Jesus talked about them being when uh, he was speaking to them in John 14 through 16, being a witness. That's what he calls us to also right? Being a witness, being somebody who tells the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth about Jesus. Not part of the truth, not a little bit of the truth, the whole truth is the idea behind it. And so when somebody has a question, or even if you're in a conversation, you get into a, a conversation about spiritual things, you know, when, when I look at, uh, a lot of times at, at what Christians do as far as their witness goes, they're so meek and they're so afraid of offending people. And especially people that have no Christian background. They're so afraid of offending people. And I just want to tell you from the point of view of somebody that had no Christian background that I would have been glad to hear somebody tell me the truth about who Jesus was. You guys, I, I got saved the first time I heard the gospel. The first time. The first time somebody told me that I was a sinner. The first time that somebody nailed me on everything that I'd done that week, the very first time. And it's like, I, I know that I look scary now because I don't have any hair. I looked scary back then because I've always been a big guy and people at my high school were a little bit nervous around me. You know, the Christians were anyway. I could, I could tell because they tried to talk to me and they'd just be afraid to talk to me. And it, it wasn't like I wasn't interested at all. It wasn't like I didn't want to hear it. I didn't know if I wanted to hear it. And so if they had come up to me and just said anything, I would have given them a hearing. I would, have let them, I would have let them speak to me. And the reason is because my life was a pit. My family was a pit. I thought my life was going to remain a pit for the rest of my life. And, you know, any kind of hope would be a great thing. The, the whole time that I was a non-Christian, God was ministering to me in all the goofiest ways. 
I cried when I watched Charlie Brown Christmas. First time I ever saw it, I'm a little kid and I'm crying and I don't even know why. I, I, you know when I was crying? Not through the dun, 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 dun. not through the dancing and all that stuff. It's when Linus got up and started reading from the book of Luke. That's when I, that's when I started crying. And from that point on, every time I saw Charlie Brown Christmas, I wouldn't cry, but I'd just kind of kind of get a little bit misty and I'd make sure that my brother or my sisters wouldn't see what was going on. And, that, and I had no idea why. I didn't know what was going on. And what was going on was God was trying to reach me. You need to be a witness and you need to tell the truth and it needs to be all of it. You need to tell the whole truth to people and don't be afraid. You know, and here's, here's one of the things too. Are people allowed to say no to you? You know, you wanna share Jesus with them. Are they allowed to say no? Yeah. Are they allowed to say no without you feeling like a complete and total fail, failure? Did people say no to Jesus? Were there whole groups of people that wanted nothing to do with him? See what I mean? It's like, if Jesus can do that, I can do that. And so, you know, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm talking to people, I'll give them an opportunity to receive Jesus. And if they don't want to, it's no skin off my neck. You know, they're going to hell. I'm not. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of joking around here, but that's actually the case. I'm going to heaven. If they, don't, if they don't want the best deal that the world has ever seen, where God takes away your sin, pays the price for it, and gives you a ticket to heaven, more power to you, Bucky. You know, that's just, that's crazy. And so, you know, it's like I, I and I understand, you know, feeling like a failure when, when you ask somebody if they want to receive Jesus and they go, no, or, you know, whatever. But in any case, we need to be good. We need to be good witnesses. You're sent just as much as these guys were sent. It says in verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so apparently what Jesus did was he came up to each one of the 11 here and breathed on them. Looks like he breathed in their face. Came walking, I don't know if he grabbed them by the back of the head or what, but he walks up to them and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So what do you think happened when he did that? I think they received the Holy Spirit at that point, right? And so each one of these guys received the Holy Spirit at that point, and they are by New Testament definition at that point, born again. They have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. They're born again at that point. These are saved men, New Testament style saved. You, you could get saved in the Old Testament too by having faith in God, but New Testament style saved where the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. That happens to everybody who becomes a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of them. But when you get to the book of Acts, which is the very next book, Jesus tells these guys, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the promise from the Father, which you heard from me, comes upon you and you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, if they just re receive the Holy Spirit, then why are they waiting to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter one? And the reason is because they're two different things. There's the indwelling of the Spirit where God dwells in you, you become the temple of God. And so now the temple of God isn't a, isn't a building over in Jerusalem. The house of God is not this building. This is just a building. The house of God is literally you. 
And so the Bible talks about the fact that when you became a Christian, you became the temple of God, you are no longer your own. And so glorify Christ in your, in your body and in your mind, which are his. That's out of 1 Corinthians chapter six. And so we become the temple of God. But then there's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna talk more about this at the, at the end of the study. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is to give you the power to live the life. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is so that God can come and dwell inside of you and change you from the inside out. That's why Christians change. Because if you don't change, there's something wrong with that whole idea of God dwelling inside of you. There's something problematic there. So if the God of the universe comes to dwell inside of you, things are gonna happen. And that's what's happening in this instance. But then there's the empowering that takes place so that you can live the life for Jesus all through the rest of your days. And that's not just a one-time event either. That's something that happens over and over. This is one time. The empowering with the Holy Spirit is multiple times. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. In, in any case, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so one of the reasons that I said, what do you think happened when he breathed on them is because there are commentators who will tell you that nothing happened when he breathed on them and that they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until they got to Acts chapter two. I don't think that's tenable. I don't think Jesus is playing a game with these guys. I think when, when he breathes on them, they receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, you guys remember what spirit means in Greek? It's the word panuma in Greek. In Hebrew, it's ruach, and it means breath and wind and spirit. It means all three of those terms, breath and wind and spirit. Jesus, actually Thomas, calls Jesus my Lord and my God in this passage. Jesus is God, and what just happened to these guys was the breath of God came upon them. And at that point, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, the word for breath there is going to be the same term that's used for spirit. It goes on and says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And what that's talking about is something that's called binding and loosing. It's the idea of having authority as a believer. Turn over to um, Matthew chapter 18 real quick. Matthew chapter 18, I'm gonna show you something. This is a deal with how you handle offenses. And so in verse 15, it says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Uh, if you won't hear, take somebody with you or two, one or two more so that uh, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word can be established. And if he refuses to hear them, uh, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And so that's how you handle problems, major problems. And so you got a problem with somebody, you don't go tell their friends, you don't go tell your friends, you don't go tell the pastor, you don't go tell anybody except for the person you got the problem with. That's who you go to first. You got a problem with somebody, you go and talk to them first and see if you can work it out. If you can't work it out, you could take two or three people with you to see if you can work it out with two or three people at that point. You know, he says one or two, but you're the third. And so you take two, you, you go with one or two other people with you and you see if you can't fix the whole thing. And they're there to be witnesses of the problem. And so you may be the one that's got the problem. Maybe you're just picking them apart 
Maybe it's the kind of thing where it's like, it's like they, you know, they were walking uh, out of church and they walked right by you and they didn't say hi to you and you were highly offended over this. And so when you come and talk to them, you and them alone, they go, well, wow, I didn't really mean to do that to you. You know, sorry. And you look at them and I go, and you go, well, I don't think you're sorry enough. And so you go get one or two people to come with you. And the one or two people come up and you go through the whole thing again. He wasn't sorry enough. And the one or two people look at you and go, what is wrong with you? The guy apologized. You need to take the apology, you know, take the win here and go with it. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kenwick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.